just pray together. <clears throat> Father, we do ask that you will open up your word for us now. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will just make it live, will just bring it alive. Father, we pray for understanding and revelation of the things that you're teaching us. Lord, we just ask now that you anoint your word now with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we might learn the things that we need to, because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. <coughs> Let me start off by recapping very quickly the last study that we did. We're on the subject of salvation. We've been there for months. We'll be there for months more. And the last study we did last time, you remember I called it a bridge study. I said that it was going to link what we've done and what we're now moving on to. And I'll very, very quickly go over what we established last time. And you'll remember that what I was saying is that most Christians have a far too limited understanding of what salvation is. That we think of salvation purely in terms of getting converted, all right, and then you're not going to go to the lake of fire after the final judgment. And I showed you that that was far too narrow. And that in actual fact, salvation in the Bible has three aspects to it. It has a past aspect, it has a present aspect, and it has a future aspect. And in actual fact, you'll remember that what I showed you is that what I call the past tense of salvation, or past salvation, was freedom or salvation from the penalty of sin. We then establish that it goes on to be more than that because in the here and now the Lord wants to be saving us from the power of sin in our lives and that one day in the future he's going to save us from the very presence of sin. And that we saw that we have these three aspects of salvation, the past, the present and the future. And we saw that past salvation, salvation from the penalty of sin, is what the Bible calls justification. And thus far on the course, that is what we had uh, done in our studies, justification. We saw that the present tense of salvation, or present salvation from the power of sin, is what the Bible calls sanctification, and that's what we begin to move on in more detail today. And that future salvation from the very presence of sin one day is what the Bible calls glorification, and we come to that later on in the course. And the other thing I showed you very quickly as well is that justification or past salvation from the penalty of sin, and I call it past salvation because it's once and for all. As soon as you've believed on Jesus, that is it. You are free from the penalty of sin. And I showed you that freedom from the penalty of sin was through Jesus' death. But I said that sanctification, or freedom from the power of sin, is through Jesus' not his death, but his life. The fact that he was raised from the dead. And that future salvation from the very presence of sin is going to be accomplished not by Jesus' death, not by Jesus' life, but in fact by Jesus' return. So where we move on to today is that having put that groundwork in last time, we come to what's going to be, if you like, the foundational study of this second phase in our subject of salvation. And we're going to start looking at what I've called present salvation 
from the power of sin in our lives or what the Bible calls sanctification. Alright, now let's just um, have a look at one or two passages immediately. If you go to Romans 5 and verse 10. Romans 5 and verse 10 where we read this, and this is what we're moving on to now. When Paul says, For if, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of his Son, now there's past salvation, there's being justified, alright? Since, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we? be saved from, by him from the wrath of God. Now there you have it. The, the past aspects of salvation, the present and the future. We're concerned with the salvation that God is working out now, moment by moment in our lives, to set us free from the power of sin. Salvation is much more vast than merely being set free from the final judgment of God. Go over into Hebrews chapter 7. And just another verse where we see this. As usual, we're going to be all over the Bible tonight. So if you get left behind, don't worry. Just sit and I'll read out all the verses. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, when we read this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Alright, so there we have it. Being saved, not just from the penalty of sin, but to the absolute uttermost. Now, let's immediately go to verses which use the word that I've used, sanctification. Because remember, we're saying that the process in the Bible, when you're set free from the penalty of sin, that is called justification. But present tense salvation, being set free from the power of sin, is sanctification. So let's immediately see where the Bible uses this word that we're going to be looking at or starting to look at tonight. Go back into Romans and Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and first of all I'm going to read verse 19 and then verse 22. Where Paul says... For just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now, notice present tense, so now yield your members, he's talking here about your body, right, parts of the body, yield your members to righteousness for sanctification. There's our word. Go down to verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification. Present tense. Alright, now. And he says, and it's end eternal life. So here we have this word, sanctification. Go over into the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. Alright, 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. And Paul says this, uh, first of all we'll read verses 3 to 4 and then 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality, that each one of you know how to take a wife for himself in holiness and honour. Now go down into verse 7. For God has not called us for uncleanness, but in holiness. Now, in the passages we've read from Romans and Thessalonians, you've heard me show you in the Bible this word sanctification. And also another word pops up here, and it's holiness. 
Now you need to know that sanctification and holiness are the same word in the Greek. Alright? So when the Bible talks about holiness, it's talking about exactly the same thing as sanctification. Now the actual Greek word, alright, holiness or sanctification, is hagiasmos. Now, a lot of people get a bit intimidated when you start talking about holiness. There's a kind of a, oh, no, sermon on holiness. You know, everyone comes out in the kind of the holy sweats. It's really very, very simple. Holiness means, this Greek word, hagiasmos, means two things. Firstly, it means to be separated for God. That is purely what the word holiness means. It means to be separated to God. And secondly, it means the life that you live having been separated for God. So that in holiness or sanctification, what we're talking about is the process whereby God sets us apart, separates us from everything else to be exclusively His so he can do with us as he wills and work on our lives to bring them to the place where they're glorifying him. So this is simply what we're looking at in sanctification or holiness. God setting us apart so that he can do his will in our life. And of course in some ways the picture that we tend to have of holiness is of something rather austere, something rather killjoy. Uh, you know, that holiness simply means giving things up. Now, of course, it does mean that. There are things that one will be released from, obviously. But holiness is simply being available for God. That takes the kind of the sting out of it. A lot of Christians, when they realise that, they're not frightened of holiness anymore. And I was for years. hated the word holiness. Oh, good grief. But it was only because of all the wrong teaching that I'd heard about it. So then, in order to really dive into this, and tonight what I want to do is to go right to the heart of the matter of sanctification, and then in subsequent talks that I do over the next months, we're going to see how it's worked out in our lives. But if you go now to Romans 6, we've already had a quick dip in there, but Romans chapter 6 is tonight going to be, if you like, our base passage, alright? Uh, so we're still going to be all over the Bible, but at all times, keep a finger in Romans chapter 6. Now then, let's just give you a kind of, in Romans, from chapter 1 up to chapter 5, Paul is dealing with the need of salvation in chapters 1 and 2, and then he goes on to show that salvation is by faith how to get saved by believing in Jesus. So Romans chapters 1 to 5 are past salvation. They're concerned with how it is that you are saved from the penalty of sin. Justification past salvation. Now I've already read Romans 5 verse 10 but we're going to read it now again because it's the link between what Paul has dealt with in 1 to 5 and what he goes on to deal with in chapter 6. Let's read it again. He says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Romans chapters 1 to 5, past salvation, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
So at this point in Romans, Paul is changing his subject. Just as we've done loads of talks on justification, and now I'm moving on to sanctification, this is exactly what Paul is doing in his thinking here at the end of Romans chapter 5. So now, when we're going on to Romans chapter 6, we're going to be talking about present salvation, sanctification being set free from the power of sin in our lives. Now, chapter 6 and verse 1, alright, let's just read this first. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, what Paul is saying here, he says, look, don't get stuck on past salvation. He says, you've been saved from the penalty of sin. Great, he says. Praise the Lord for that. But that is merely one aspect of salvation, you see. And the question that Paul raises now is that there's so much more to the Christian life than just being saved from the lake of fire. The question now is not just can we be set free from the penalty of sin, but Paul starts to deal with the question that can sin be overcome? Are we just stuck with it? I mean, has sin got to dominate us throughout our whole lives? In Romans chapters 1 to 5, he's dealt with the fact that sin is forgiven past salvation, but now he wants to demonstrate that Christianity is more than simply having your sins forgiven. He starts to teach now about how it is that we can actually know how sin can be overcome in our lives. So we need to understand really what it is that Paul is saying here. And I've got to start off with this. This is the basis of our understanding. You'll remember in the second talk that I gave, I showed the problem that came between God and man, all right, once Adam and Eve fell into sin. And that one of the things that we noted was that when Adam and Eve fell, in, fell into sin, from that moment onwards, a basic sinful nature was genetically handed down to everyone who was born from the male. The male passes a sinful nature on to all his offspring. All right. So this is the problem. We have a sinful nature that we inherited from our human father. Just go over into Romans 7, and I'm going to start reading from verse 15. And here Paul talks about this sinful nature. And in Romans 7, Paul is speaking as a Christian. All right. Now he says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then, it's no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's funny, because in the English translation of this, yeah, I mean, even the language itself, it gets all tied up, it trips over itself. And this is the struggle that Paul's talking about. He's converted, but my goodness, he's all screwed up in himself, because he's got a sin nature that he inherited from his father. And this sin nature is built into our body. It is an absolute integral part of us. 
So then, to put it in, a, shall we say, fairly oldie-worldie jargon, and I think it's the translation that the King James Version uses, some Christians use the phrase that we still have an old man, that even though we're converted, that old sinful nature is still absolutely a part of us. Now, you do meet some Christians, and there's a false teaching that in doing this tonight I have to refute, but it's fairly common. Some Christians teach that because we're Christians, we don't have a sin nature anymore. Now, I'm going to show you what absolute garbage that is. If you go to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John 1, and if you find verse 8. And in 1 John 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Alright. So then, the point is that even as Christians, we still have a sinful nature <coughs> inside of us. Hence, sin is a problem in our lives. And in actual fact, we will see, and this will come in later places in the... Uh, in the series that we're doing, that that sinful nature is going to be with you and me until one, we die, or two, the rapture happens. All right, and we'll be going into that into later studies. But for the time being, you and I, as long as we live, are stuck with this sin nature. Now, bearing that in mind, still in 1 John, turn to chapter 3. And we're going to look at some verses now which cause a lot of Christians problems, all right? And in 1 John 3, and I'm going to read verse 6 and then verse 9. Now remember, we've established from Paul, Romans 7, and from John here, that we still have this sinful nature. But listen to this, 1 John 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him, that is Jesus, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Oh dear. Go down into verse 9. No one born of God commits sin. For God's nature abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Go into chapter 5 and verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not sin. Now, dear, oh dear, now I've often spoken about these apparent contradictions in the Bible. Of course, there aren't any contradictions in the Bible. But we need to understand this apparent contradiction. Because we've established that we still have a sinful nature. That's why we sin. We're going to see how Jesus deals with the sinful nature. But nevertheless, we have one. And yet, John the Apostle, who's the same bloke who says, look, if you say you haven't got a sin nature, you're deceiving yourself. He then goes on to say that if you're a Christian, and born of God, you cannot sin. Now, what on earth is going on here? Well, the answer to it is this. Bear in mind that the bloke who wrote 1 John, i.e. John the Apostle, was the same bloke who wrote the Gospel of John. And you'll remember, a few studies ago, we spent a whole study on John chapter 3 about being born again. The same John who wrote this is the one who brought out and developed Jesus' teaching about being born again. And in John 3, verse 6, we read this of the words of Jesus. Don't turn to it. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Now you remember I told you that the moment you believed in Jesus, your spirit, which was dead, was brought back to life and you were immediately put into oneness with Jesus. That happened the moment you believed on Jesus as your saviour. And that what happened is then you received a new nature. Now remember, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. You see, the thing is this, you and I now have two natures inside of us. Before we got converted, we only had one, a sinful nature. But the moment we were born again, we received a new nature, which is born of God. And that new nature that we have cannot sin. You see, the thing is, we are born of flesh, we have an earthly father, therefore we have a spiritual father. And in the law of the universe, it's like father, like son. The children have the characteristics of the father. So, you have a human father, you're born of the flesh, you have the characteristics of your human father. You're a sinner. But when you believed on Jesus, you were born of the spirit. And a new nature was born inside of you, which had the characteristics of your father, the Lord, Heavenly Father, who is sinless. So the truth of the matter is, you and I now have two natures. We have a nature that can only sin, our sinful nature, but when we got born again, we got a new nature which cannot sin. Because the new nature is in the likeness of our Father God. And God is sinless. So can you see this, this conflict that we now have two natures residing inside us? The old nature, what we got from our human father, but we have a new nature which cannot sin from our heavenly father. And we're going to see that the secret of sanctification is... It depends which nature you decide to live in at any one moment, all right? And the choice, moment by moment, is ours. So therefore, we must move on and ask this question. Right, we've got this wonderful new nature. Isn't that great? But we, boy, do we have problems with the old one. It's the old one that causes the problem. So how do we beat the sin nature? We've got a new nature that's totally holy and perfect because that came from Father. But what do we do about the old nature? How do we beat that? And of course, what we're going to see, as always, is that we can't. There's nothing we can do about it whatsoever. But remember the principle we're following in this whole course. You can't, but he can. Because whereas we can do nothing to beat our sinful natures, we're going to see that Jesus already has beaten our sinful natures. And we're going to see how he did it. And believe me, it's an absolute stroke of genius, as you would expect with what God does. It's brilliant. It really is. You know, sometimes you see these films when they have the perfect crime. And you see the mastermind planning the impossible bullion robbery or things like that. Well, the Bible is much better than any of them because it's so ingenious. It really is. Now, turn back to Romans 6. You should have your finger in there, all right? And let's see exactly what it is that the Lord has done, all right? Now then, we've already read Romans chapter 6, verse 1, all right? So we'll read it again. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And in verse 2, Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And what we're going to see is that God has beaten our sin nature by incorporating us into the death of Jesus to sin. 
This will become clear in moments. Read from verse 3 onwards, and I'm going to read the whole section now to verse 10, and then we're going to look at it in detail, alright? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, alright, there it is, the old nature, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body, either sinful nature, might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe we should also live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died to sin once for all, but the life he now lives, he lives to God. Now then, okay, let's, let's get into this now. We've said that when we came to Christ, the moment we were converted, the moment we were born again, we received a new nature that cannot sin, alright? But the problem is the sinful nature we already had, okay, and have still got. And that one can only sin, alright? And we're stuck with it in the sense that it is always present in us until death or the rapture. Now, the key thing to understand in this is that in Romans 6... Paul is using the picture constantly of being in Christ. He talks about being baptised into Christ, alright. And of course one of Paul's key phrases throughout all his teaching is in Christ, okay. Now we've got to look at this and understand what it means. The moment that you were converted, you were put in Christ. Now, let me give you an example. Say you've got a wallet, alright. Now, in that wallet, you put a fiver. So you've got a wallet, and there's a fiver, alright? So you've got your wallet, you put the fiver in. Now, as long as the fiver is in the wallet, the wallet go, the fiver goes where the wallet goes. Can you see? Because the fiver, the five pound note, is in the wallet, the, its experience is identified and dependent on the wallet. So where the wallet goes, the five pound note goes with it. In the same way that you men might then pick that wallet with the £5 note in up and put it in your jacket pocket. The wallet is now in your jacket pocket, which means that where your jacket goes, the wallet goes too. Can you see, just what I'm saying is that to be in something is to share its experience, to go where it goes, to do what it does, alright? So then, when you put a £5 note into a wallet, as long as it remains in the wallet, it has a shared experience with the wallet, alright? Now then, you and I, the moment we believed on Jesus, were incorporated into Jesus. We were put in Him. And in so, in that happening, we were put not just into Christ, but into His experience. Can you see what I'm saying? Once you're in Christ, you have a shared experience with him. Where he goes, you go. Where, you, where he is, you are. 
where my wallet is, my money is. You see what I mean? Shared experience because it's in it. Uh, yeah, in Belinda's bag is all my money. I, I never get to see it. But the big difference is this, that when you put a five pound note in a wallet, the experience is only shared from the moment that the fiver is put in the wallet. Now, the thing is, when you're put in Jesus, that, that shared experience becomes retroactive, by which I mean this, God is outside of time. Everything God does, although it impinges into time, it's finally outside of time and not limited by time. So the point is this, when you were put into Jesus, when you were converted, you do not just share the experience of Jesus from that day onwards. You experience what Jesus has experienced throughout his entire existence. You share his experience past, present and future. Alright. Now then, what Paul is saying here, remember he's saying that what happens to Jesus happens to us. What has happened to Jesus happens to us. Now, what happened to Jesus, amongst many other things on the cross, it was this, Jesus died once and for all to sin. Can you see what Paul is saying? You, you were baptised into his death. So Paul is saying we are in Christ, we share his total experience, alright? And one of Jesus' experience, experiences was that he died completely to sin. Now what we're going to see is that because you and I are in him, therefore we share in that death to sin that Jesus experienced on the cross 2,000 years ago. But here is the very important point that you must get hold of. We share in Jesus' death to sin only to the extent that we are actually in him. Remember, if you take the £5 note out of the wallet, the wallet then moves independently from the £5 notes. Now, what I'm going to show you is that there are two different ways of being in Christ. And this is absolutely vital that you get hold of this. We can actually be in Christ in two totally different senses. The first one is being in Christ once and for all. Something that can never be undone past salvation. But what I'm going to show you as well is that in regards to present salvation from the power of sin or sanctification, you can be in Christ in an existential way or moment by moment. Alright. So there are these two senses. In regards to your past salvation, you are in Christ once and for all. You can't get out. Sorry, but you can't get out. You're stuck in Christ. All right. But in regards to present salvation, which is what Paul is talking about in Romans 6, you can either be in Christ, in which case you share his experience of death to sin, or you can be out of Christ, in which case you don't share Jesus' Jesus's experience of death to sin. Let me actually show you this. Go into John's Gospel and John chapter 15. John 15, alright? <clears throat> and first of all in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. I am, the true I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So here we're seeing that because Jesus is the vine, he is the source of fruit. 
The life, the fruit, comes from Jesus himself. Go down into verse 3. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Now can you see, Jesus here is talking about the once and for all being in him because the disciples were Christians. And in that sense of them trusting Jesus as their saviour, that was once and for all. He says, you are already made clean by the word that I have spoken. They were once and for all in Jesus as a result of believing in him and therefore set free from the penalty of sin. But go into verse 4 and you'll notice that now it changes because Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now it's changed here because Jesus is now talking about bearing fruit. He's not talking about getting saved from the penalty of sin. He's talking about being saved from the power of sin. He's talking about bearing fruit, all right? And can you see that in that context, he says, abide in me. Now, if Jesus tells us to abide in him, it obviously means that we can fail to do so. Now, if you think about it, I abide in our home, which means that while I'm living there, I'm in the home. Can you see? So abide literally means to be in or to be out. So what we're seeing is that pertaining to being set free from the penalty of sin, we are in Christ once and for all. But when it comes to talking about sanctifications, in Romans 6 as we're doing, you can be either in Christ or you can be out of Christ. And if you're out of Christ, you're not going to share his death to sin. So here in John 15:4, he says, abide in me. He says, if you abide in me, if you are in me, you will bear fruit. But he says, if you're not in me, then you will not bear fruit. All right? Then in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So what Jesus is saying, that when it comes to bearing fruit, to be in Jesus at any one moment is the same as the branch bearing fruit, taking it from the vine. But if the branch tries to act independently from the vine, it's absolutely no good. Fruit isn't produced in that way. So Jesus is saying to them, you're in me in the sense of being saved from hellfire. That is permanent. But in regards to bearing fruit or holiness, you can either abide in me or you can be out of me. You can act through me or you can act apart from me. You can be either in or out. And what I'm going to show you is that the secret of holiness is that as we, to the extent that we abide in Jesus, to that extent we are going to see the fruit of sanctification, because Jesus does it. But if we don't abide in Jesus, we're not going to see it, all we're going to be stuck with is our own efforts. And believe me, you cannot beat the sin nature with your own efforts. So what we're seeing is that being in Christ is once and for all so far as being the redeemed of the Lord. The fact that we're in him, we've believed on him as saviour, that is once and for all relative to past salvation, being free from the penalty of sin. But abiding in Jesus or being in Jesus in regards to present salvation is variable. You can be in or you can be out. Bearing that in mind, go now to Galatians 5. And I'll read you some verses which bring this out fairly 
clearly. Uh, I, I think you'll be a bit surprised at these verses. They're, they're, they're quite, quite amazing verses. In Galatians 5, verse 1 to 4, and Paul says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. Now what Paul's dealing with here, he's dealing with Christians who were Jews. And although they've been converted through faith in Jesus, they are now attempting to live the Christian life under the power of the law. They're saying that now we've, we've got Jesus, we're saved by faith, but now we've got to obey the law of Moses. And they were trying to get even Gentile converts to Christianity to get circumcised. So what's happening here? Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are saved once and for all from the penalty of sin, but have got in a mess in regards to sanctification, how to live a holy life. And what Paul is writing to them and saying, you're doing it by the law, you're doing it in your own strength, you'll get absolutely nowhere. Now listen to what he says in verse 4, you are severed from Christ. Can you see that? He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now here we have Paul writing to Christians and he says you're severed from Christ. Not meaning that you can lose your salvation because it's largely on Paul's teachings that we know that you can't. But he's talking not about past salvation, he's talking about present salvation. And he says that because you've put yourselves back under the law, you have cut yourselves off from Jesus. Can you see they are not in Christ at that moment, they are out of Christ. And because they are out of Christ, they cannot share Jesus' experience of dying to sin. Now then, let's go back to Romans 6, all right, which is, as I've said, our base passage for tonight. And back in Romans chapter 6, let's actually see this. Paul goes in verse 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body, the sinful nature or whatever, might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Now this is where some Christians say that we haven't got sinful nature anymore. They say, look, the Bible says that it was destroyed. All right. Now we need to understand from the Greek what this word destroyed means. All right. And that the actual Greek word used here is katagio. Now, often, if we use the word destroy, it can mean annihilated, can't it? Wipes out. I, I destroyed him. All right? Now, it doesn't, katagio does not mean that. The literal meaning of this word destroyed, or katagio, it comes from two Greek words. It comes from kata, which means down. And it comes from Argos, and no, this is not an advertisement, it comes from Argos, which means inactivity. So you've got down, inactivity. And what it literally means is to reduce or to bring down, to reduce to inactivity. Alright? So that what we see here is that our sinful nature, through sharing Jesus' death on the cross, is reduced to inactivity. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're a wife, alright? Now, if your husband dies, 
your role and your responsibilities and your duties as a wife are catagioed. Because if your husband dies, your role as a, a wife is, is gone. It's reduced to inactivity. There's nothing more to do. Can you see? So that the moment that your husband dies, your duties to your husband die. They're just not there anymore. They're, 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 they're catagioed completely. Let me actually show you this word elsewhere. And um, if you go over to um, Romans chapter 7. Uh, yeah, that's right. Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. He says, thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is discharged from the law concerning her husband. And that word discharged is catagio. Can you see? It means that when something is rendered inoperative. Uh, a good way to think about it, a good way to translate catagio, uh, reduced to inactivity, would be neutralised to neutralize. Now a really good picture is that if you say you take a bottle of acid, alright? Now there's a bottle of acid. If you stick your hand in that bottle of acid you are going to be in trouble. But if you pour alkaline on the acid, the acid is then neutralized and it doesn't act as acid anymore. It's still there it's still present, but because it's been neutralised, it no longer acts as acid, and you can stick your fingers in it quite safely. So what we're seeing is that to the extent that we share the death of Jesus, to the extent that we abide in Jesus moment by moment, our sinful nature is neutralised the same way as alkaline neutralises acid. But the point is this. Once you've neutralised the bottle of acid with alkaline, it's safe. But if you then remove the alkaline, the acid is there as dangerous as ever. Now, can you begin to put together and to see what Paul is teaching about this? To the extent that we, moment by moment, abide in Jesus, our sinful nature is neutralised. It's catagioed. It's rendered inactive. But the point is, the moment that you stop abiding in Jesus, like taking the alkaline out of the acid, immediately the sinful nature is there as forceful and as powerful as it ever was. Now, can you see what this means? We're saying that when Jesus died on the cross, you and I were incorporated into his death to sin. But that is only actualized. It is only made real in our lives. Our sinful natures are only neutralized by his death to the extent that we are abiding in him moment by moment. Remember what we're saying. If you're in Christ, you share his experience. To the extent that you're in him moment by moment, you share his death to sin and your sinful nature is neutralized. Catagio. But to the extent that you're not in Jesus moment by moment, to that extent you're not sharing his experience of death to sin and your sinful nature is not being neutralised. Now can you begin to see now this tension that we live in as Christians? Neither, we must understand this, 
Is it a question of at any one moment totally being in Jesus or any one moment totally being out of Jesus? You can be abiding in Jesus in certain areas of your life and therefore knowing victory, whereas there are still other areas of your life where you're not abiding in Jesus and you're in defeat. All right. But the question that we want to move on to now is, okay, yeah, we can see that the secret of holiness, the secret of overcoming the sinful nature, is by being in Jesus, moment by moment, abiding in Jesus. But what we've got to ask now is, okay, so how do you abide in Jesus? How do you do it? And the answer should not surprise us in the slightest. We do it by faith. We do it simply by believing it's true. Go with me to Galatians 2.20. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ... It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the point is that we abide in Jesus to the extent that we believe that his death was a shared experience and that it's beaten our sin. In past salvation, we saw that to be set free from the penalty of sin or justification was by faith. Not by what you did, it was by faith, by believing. And here we are seeing that sanctification and being set free from the power of sin, how is it? It's by faith. It's by faith from start to finish. Victory over our sinful natures is a gift from God that we simply receive by faith. Go back to Romans 6. Now we've read up to verse 10. Now where does Paul take it from there? Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now can you see there that it's a that this word, consider, we've come up against it before. And we came up against it, I trust you all remember, when we did imputation. And it means to reckon. It's an accountancy term. It means literally to count on it. If I pay 50 quid into my bank account, well the next day I can reckon that it's quite safe to write a cheque for 50 quid out. I can count on it being there. And reckoning is a question of believing. I pay 50 quid into an account, therefore I know I believe, I'm sure, that I can withdraw that £50 out. Go back into verse 7, alright. He says, For he who has died is freed from sin. Remember Paul saying, You shared Jesus' death to sin. He says, Therefore you are free from sin. And then in verse 8, But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Can you see? It's faith. This is received not by hard work, not by straining away. It's received by faith as a gift from Jesus, just like past salvation is. Simply believing that Jesus has done it for you. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just deal with the punishment for your sins. He didn't just take the punishment of your sin. He took your sinful nature on him and he took it into death. 
but that is only made real in our life to the extent we abide in Jesus and therefore uh, experience that with him. So what we've dealt with thus far is what I call the negative aspect. We've seen how God has dealt with the old nature, alright. But what about the new nature? I mentioned earlier that we got this new nature and I think we ought to spend a little bit of time on that because it would be incomplete otherwise. If you go back to Galatians and Galatians chapter 5 and starting from verse 22 when Paul says He says, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now then, here is Paul writing about the fruit of the Spirit. We've already seen from John 15 that Jesus' will for us, now we're saved from the penalty of sin, is to bear much fruit. That's what holiness is, to bear fruit. What is fruit? Well, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Can you see? So, in actual fact here, John 15, the fruit in John 15 is the fruit, not of you and I, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus and to bring Jesus to us and reveal him to us. Therefore, the John 15 fruit bear much fruit. And here, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, what is it? It's the life of Jesus himself. All right. The fruit that Jesus wants is literally his life lived out through us. Now, you'll remember I showed you that past salvation or justification was by Jesus' death. But here is where we're seeing that present salvation or sanctification is not by his death, it's by his life. And what we're going to see is we were justified because Jesus died in our place, but we're sanctified because Jesus can live in our place. Can you see that? Christianity, I repeat again and again, is not what we do. Christianity is what Jesus has done and what Jesus wants to continue to do through us. We often talk about uh, that when you become a Christian, that it changes your life. And we talk about Christianity as being a changed life. Well, that's true, but only partially true. The real truth of the matter, Christianity isn't a changed life, it's an exchanged life. You see the difference? Jesus takes our old sinful life and puts in its place his holy life. So then we were saved by the, from the penalty of sin because Jesus died in our place. But what we're going to move on to for quite a few studies to come is that we're saved from the power of sin, not by Jesus dying in our place, but by Jesus living in our place, by Jesus living through us. And this is why when Jesus taught about being a disciple, his teaching was that daily you take up your cross and you carry it. And of course, when Jesus took up his cross and carried it, what did he do? He carried it up a hill and he was nailed to it and he died on it. And cross carrying isn't God you know, giving you the most unpleasant thing he can think of for you to handle for the rest of your life. You know, Christians say, oh, my biggest problem, whatever their problem is, and they say, oh, this is my cross. That's not what the cross is about. To take up your cross daily means to die. The cross means die. It doesn't mean carry it. I mean, when the Romans found someone guilty of insurrection, their sentence wasn't to spend the rest of their lives carrying a cross around. 
Well, I suppose they did spend the rest of their life carrying a cross, but only up an hill so they could die on it. Can you see? So discipleship is dying daily. It's coming into the death of Jesus, sharing the death of Jesus to our own sinful nature. This is what sanctification is. Now then, let me say it takes time. Be careful of teaching which says that this is something instant, an instant realisation, and that's it. No more problem with sin. Rubbish. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. God isn't growing a backyard of mushrooms. He's growing a forest of oaks. It's far more majestic, but it takes a bit longer. And we've got to be willing to give God the time that he needs to work this out in our own lives. And you see, the thing is that what we're saying is entering into the death of Jesus. Abiding in Jesus, and remember, the extent that we abide in Jesus, we're going to have victory over sin in our lives. But the thing is that the Christian life is more and more allowing more and more areas of our life to be dealt with by God and brought into this death, surrendered to the death of Jesus. And of course, it's a process which goes on constantly. It will only end, as I've said, when we eventually get shot of our sinful natures once and for all. But that's at the rapture or death. That's future salvation to be saved from the presence of sin. That comes later. But for the moment, this is what sanctification is. But the problem comes because, and we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this in the next study, I think it's the next or the one after, is that we have a problem that we don't always want our sinful natures to be reduced to inactivity, do we? Because remember, I said, the truth of the matter is that we've got two natures in us, one that can't sin and one that can only sin. But at any one moment, it's up to us which nature we live in. Uh, you should still be in Galatians. Find Galatians 5, verse 17, when Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. Now what Paul's saying there is you've got converted. And of course it's natural because you've had a lifetime of practice to do what your sinful nature wants to do. But now that you've got this new nature, the Holy Spirit is all the time going to be fighting against you to stop you getting your way, the old nature, and to bring you more and more into the new nature. So really, what we're seeing is this, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, is to bring more and more of our sinful nature into the death of Jesus, to the extent that he can get us to let go of whatever part of our life he's dealing with. And of course, what we're going to see is that very often the Lord may be pinpoint something in our life, and he says, give it to me. And because we still have this sinful nature, now when we let it go, it's gone. But it's us letting it go that's the problem. Because of course what we do, God says, I want. And so we hand it to God in a clenched fist, don't we? Have you ever done that? Given something to God in a clenched fist? And of course what he then has to do, he knows that you want to give it to him, but he knows you can't and you've given it in a clenched fist. Well he then has to release your fist. 
and he has to deal with us and that's what we're going to be seeing in future weeks and remember to the extent that we let go of the old nature is going to be the extent that we live in the new nature let's have a look specifically at this new nature that we got when we were born again Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4 and we'll start at verse 22 when Paul says put off your old nature which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new nature now listen to this the new nature you got it when you were born again the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Go over into Colossians. Colossians is after Philippians. And Colossians 3, and we'll start reading from verse 5. He says, put to death. Now what does that mean, put to death? Well, it means let it go into the death of Jesus. See what I mean? Let it go in, into the death of Jesus to sin. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you lived in them, but now put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices, but listen to this, and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Now can you see, you've got your sinful nature which can only sin from your sinful father. But when you were born again, you've got a new nature which cannot sin because it came from God who is absolutely sinless. So what this means is this, 16, 17 years ago, whenever it was that I got converted, at that moment in time that I believed in Jesus, do you know what happened? I was standing there, alright, with simply a sin nature. But then I received a new nature from God. Now what happened then was that from that moment onwards, suddenly, if you like, there were two BJs. There was the old sinful nature BJ, the BJ sinful version as I call it, but a new BJ Jesus version had come into being. Can you see what I'm saying? So that when I got converted, there was the sinful nature BJ, but you know what happened? A new BJ was created on the spot in the image of God in absolute holiness and righteousness. So that from that moment on, it's this struggle begins between the two natures. It sort of sound, sounds a bit schizophrenic, and uh, you know, but I'm not schizophrenic. No, neither am I. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but it's, it's this, this, this battle going on between the two natures. And that what, it, what is happening, sanctification, is the Holy Spirit working so that the sin version, BJ, is brought into the death of Jesus. So that the Jesus version, BJ, can just flourish and bloom and blossom. That's exactly what God wants for us. But of course, in the interim, it can only be through death. The old being brought into the death of Jesus. Let me give you an example from nature, alright? And let's talk about a little caterpillar, alright? Let's call him Clarence. Now, 
I want you to picture Clarence because he's Clarence, all right, and he's kind of he's, he's doing what caterpillars do. He's running up stalks and he's eating leaves and stuff like that, avoiding getting trodden on and eaten by the birds. But you see, the thing with Clarence is that that he he instinctively tends to feel that he belongs up there. He's he's got an urge to fly, as old Clarence. Now one day he's nibbling away at a nettle, and and he sees this butterfly go past, and 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 something clicks, and it, it sort of he 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 belongs up there. He knows he he can't explain it, but he belongs up there. He should be flying, and he feels cheated because he's earthbound. Now he thinks, right, okay, I'm going to fly. So, so what he does is maybe thinks, right, so he goes up a tree and he belts along a branch and he throws himself off, you see, and he wriggles and that, because he knows he belongs in the air. But of course, down he comes, bang. And he thinks, I'm not having this. I know that I belong up there. So up he goes, belts along the branch, down he comes again. You see, and Clarence is very frustrated because he knows that he belongs up there. He doesn't know why he knows, but he knows that his destiny is up there in the clouds. But he can't get there, he's stuck on the earth. And it troubles him, he's frustrated. He's not a fulfilled little caterpillar. Now then, one day, all right, here he is trying to work out how to fly. But one day something happens which he definitely doesn't like. Because you see, all this rotten, horrible, gooey stuff suddenly starts leaking out from all over him. And, 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 and he finds after a while that now he, he can't even run along a branch. It totally traps him. So here's this little caterpillar with his great expectations of flying, and now he can't even wriggle. He really is going backwards, and all this muck and grunge that's trapped him in this cocoon has come from inside of him. It's a really bad day for a caterpillar. He feels cheated, he can't work it out. He is totally immobilized. But of course, what happens is this. Because Clarence is immobilized in the cocoon, because there is no motion in him whatsoever, something starts to happen. And a life principle that was in him all the time, but had never developed, now takes over. And Clarence changes in his cocoon. A metamorphosis takes place. Until one day, Clarence finds that he can burst this cocoon, this cocoon that trapped him. He can burst it. And when he comes out, behold, he can fly. What he always wanted to do, but couldn't, knew that he was meant to, but was totally incapable of doing, now he does quite naturally. The reason being that as long as he was merely a caterpillar, all he could do was he was under the law of gravity. This law pulled him down and there was no way that he could escape it whatsoever. But, however, once he'd been through the cocoon, once he came out a butterfly with wings, the law of gravity was still there, pulling him down. But because he had wings, because he'd metamorphosed, because he'd changed, now he was subject to a higher law, the law of aerodynamics. Now the law of aerodynamics does not, still is there, and the law of gravity is there, but aerodynamics, if you've got wings, is the higher law. And now Clarence is subject to a higher law, 
and he is able to do what he could never do before but in order to get there he had to die now then let me show you why I've chosen that example because we get converted and we know Jesus and Jesus lives in us and we we long for holiness we want to be flying with Jesus we read all these books about the ascended life being raised up with Christ in heavenly places and it sounds great but it doesn't work it's fantastic when you read about it it's great when people preach about it but it doesn't work you try you feel you should be flying but rather than soaring in the heavens with Jesus in the power of the Spirit we're forever stuck on earth groveling in our own sinfulness groveling in our own weakness uh, then we go and get baptized in the Spirit which is great we must get baptized with the Spirit but that's when we move into Clarence belting along a branch and jumping off stage <laughs> and we think I've been baptized with the Spirit so we run along the branch we flap our wings you know yell out in tongues and oh hey I'm there bang and back you come down to earth and still you're being beaten you're, you know you belong up there but you're being beaten at every turn and then one day and this this is, this is awful. You're already concerned about what a rotten Christian you are. And then one day, all this muck starts coming out of you. I mean, you thought you were a grotty person, but now you find that you're sinking to depths of sinfulness that you didn't believe were possible. And suddenly, and, and rather than improving, you're getting worse. You're getting more sinful, not less sinful. And, and for, for some people, you can even end up in despair. Remember that Clarence, when he was in that cocoon, he couldn't move. All he could do was respire. All he could do was breathe. Now, the Christian's breath is prayer. And I've known what it's like to be so desperate that the only thing I can do is pray. And I'm talking about intercede. I'm talking about help, <laughs> you see. And suddenly you're trapped. All your aspirations, all that you were going to do is all brought absolutely to nothing. And yet something very wonderful, very mysterious happens because out of that death, you come out the other side changed. Something's different. Because a life principle that was inside of you, remember Clarence, he had a butterfly in him, but he couldn't get out. Now you've got Jesus in you, but he can't get out. And this cocoon of sinfulness that you're trapped in, at last you stop trying. And a life principle that was in you all the time, giving you these aspirations to fly, but which couldn't manifest itself because you were too busy living your own life, suddenly it begins to express itself and Jesus comes through. And things that you struggled with before and got nowhere with, now they're gone. You can't explain it, but somehow victory is coming. That somehow you're subject to a higher law. Now go back with me to Romans chapter 6. And I want to show you this in what Paul is writing here. Because in Romans 6, Paul lays out the theory. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is saying we can be free from sin. He's got the aspiration. He's got the theory, if you like, like Clarence. He knows he belongs up there. But then if you go into Romans 7, which we've already read, what do we read? How had Paul improved? He got this revelation that he was dead to sin. And then he recounts that he's not. He's totally, whatever he wants to do that's good, sin takes over. And we see Paul going into this struggle with himself. This being brought to the end of himself. Every aspiration of holiness is just completely shattered 
by the sinfulness that's taking over in him. And eventually in Romans 7, how does it end up? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul is brought into death to self. And then Romans 8, suddenly what was theory before God dealt with him is now reality. And he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, can you see the law of sin and death is gravity, and it's still there in you. But when you abide in Jesus, you have wings. And the law of aerodynamics is a higher law. And if you abide in Jesus, you soar. But if you don't abide in Jesus, the law of sin and death drags you down, and always will. Now, can you see what I'm meaning by, yeah, we've got the theory, all this is potential, if we abide in Jesus, to that extent we'll be free from sin. But sanctification is God dealing with us to bring us into abiding in Jesus. To deal with our self-will. To deal with our own attempts. To deal with all the sin and the pride in our lives that separates us from Jesus existentially, moment by moment. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that what God wants is like a metamorphosis like a caterpillar into a butterfly to be brought into the cocoon of death so that we can come out changed metamorphosed let me show you something very interesting go to 2 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3 we'll start at verse 17 now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom from sin. And we all, with unveiled faith, face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into His likeness from one degree of glory to another. Now, mark that, it's progressive. It's not all at once. It's one degree of glory into another. We are being changed into His likeness, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, then, what I want to show you is this. Paul says that we are being changed into his likeness. Do you know what that Greek word is for changed? It's metamorphone. It's the Greek word for metamorphosis. This is what God's after, the metamorphosis, the death to self, the death to the old life, so that the new life can come through. Go through uh, back into Romans, but this time chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And in verse 1, we read, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, by, uh, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can you see the death there? A living sacrifice. It's a contradiction. Of course you live, but God wants you to live as if you're dead, so that Jesus can live in your place. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know what the Greek word is for transform there? Metamorphon. Can you see the butterfly shows us the way? It's there in the Bible, it's there in nature. And that what we're going to see is that it all boils down, remember in the Corinthians verse we just read, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are metamorphosed into his likeness. That what we're going to see is that the secret of this abiding in Jesus, this being brought into his death, is always tied up with having a vision of Jesus in all his glory. The secret of holiness 
and all I've said is not trying, it's Jesus. It's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as it says in Hebrews. And that we're going to see in future studies, because tonight I've laid the foundation, and in the next few studies we're going to enlarge on these things. We're going to look at characters in the Bible, and I'm going to show you how God actually worked the transformation in their lives, how he dealt with them, what that means for us. We're going to look at judgment, how God disciplines us, this whole process of sanctification, of bringing us into freedom from the power of sin in our lives. And yet what I want you to hang on to all the time is that the secret is always looking to Jesus. It's always a vision of Jesus in all his glory. Never let the emphasis be on what we have to do. Never even let the emphasis be on your own faith. Always let the emphasis be on Jesus because that is what real faith is. If we're concentrating on our own faith, that shows we haven't got any. Because biblical faith is in Jesus. Faith is when you're looking to Jesus. Look at your faith and you destroy the very thing you're looking at. Faith is looking to Jesus. And we're going to see how this whole thing is simply being brought into an increasing realisation of how wonderful Jesus is and what he's done for us and to the extent of that appreciation to the extent of that revelation this death this abiding in Jesus this freedom from sin will be systematically and progressively made a reality in our lives rather than simply a doctrine rather than simply a potential that's there but not realized so from there that is where we move on to next time in considerable detail.